Good morning. If you're just joining us, my name is Andrew. I'm the pastor for this congregation. And here's how I want to begin our sermon today. I want to invite you to stand up. And we're going to read the words of our scripture together. It's the most famous words in the Bible, perhaps all of human history. The 23rd Psalm. The words will be on the screen around me. This is a Psalm of David. Let's say together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God add his richest blessing to the hearing of the word today. Let's pray. Lord, this morning take my words and speak through them. Take our thoughts, Lord, and think through them. And then as a result, take our hearts. Let them rest securely in you and light them up with love for you and for your world. This is what we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. W.H. Auden said that we live in the age of anxiety. I think it's true. Stress and worry, anxiety, inability to sleep, this constant feeling of tension in the pit of your stomach. This is part of what many Americans live with every day. I wonder if that's your story today. Are, are you here but not all the way because of some worry that you have, some anxiety? Did you not sleep well last night because of it? We're concluding a sermon series today we've called 24-6 in which we looked at the biblical idea of Sabbath. That is that the human is created to rest every seven days. And I've said every single week that although the fourth commandment of the ten is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It is not so much that we break the fourth commandment though we do but it's more that the fourth commandment breaks us. And I think the fact that so much anxiety is in our lives is a proof and a symptom of our need for a deeper sort of rest. But when I say rest, I don't mean eight hours of good sleep a night. I don't mean the opposite of fatigue. When I say rest, and when the Bible talks about rest, it's like the opposite of anxiety. Maybe a better word might even be peace. There's these powerful words in the psalm. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Could that be true for you? Could you, could you, could you say that and, and mean it? Several weeks ago, somebody put on our Facebook page, what is the biggest misconception that people have about Christians? And people responded and put different things on. Lots of good answers that Christians are always judgmental, that they're anti-intellectual, that they're judgmental, different things. But this is what I thought it was. I think the biggest misconception that people have about Christians or about the Christian faith is that when you become a Christian, you don't suffer anymore. You have nothing to worry about. You have no difficulties or struggles. In fact, I often 
think that the more you follow Christ, often sometimes the more difficult your road becomes. Christ, after all, was crucified. I just raise that to let you know that if you're here today and you're carrying a lot of struggles, a lot of worries, anxiety, you're lacking peace. The Christian faith has something to say about it right in the midst of where you are. What I want to talk about today is the 23rd Psalm and the idea of the rest that each of us desperately needs. Now, we have a bunch of kids with us today, right? So on the count of three, I want to hear everybody under the age of 11, just let me know you're here, okay? Kids? One, two, three. Okay. Now, I have a little one at home, too, and he's about to turn three. And we're struggling with something that he's worried about in our house. Maybe you were worried about that when you were little. He's worried about M-O-N-S-T-E-R-S. That's monsters. And you got to be careful. Careful, You know, you go to the public library, you get a bunch of kids' books, you flip through a couple of pages, a monster just jumps out at you if you're not careful. We think, we're not going to read that book anymore, throw that book out. The other night he had trouble sleeping. Why? Because he has these dark curtains that cover his windows. And in the middle of the night, it was moving and acting weird, and he thought that maybe it was an M-O-N-S-T-E-R. We don't even like to say the word in our house. Now, he's a little guy, but he comes by his fear honestly. And this may sound surprising, but I was not always kind of like the 190-pound man of danger that you see before you today. <laughs> yeah. Even a few short years ago before I married my first wife, my current wife, I had times when I was scared of stuff. And I don't know if this is true about you, but this is true about me. In the middle of the night, my brain goes crazy. And stuff that shouldn't bother me or worry me or scare me does. It keeps me up. And stuff that in the daylight I'd laugh away at night keeps me all tense. So a couple of years ago, I was living in Virginia, and I had a friend of mine who was a pastor of a small country church. And somebody had donated adjacent property to the church, and there was an old house on it. And the house was being used by the church as like a retreat center. It was off in the woods, and I had just going through a lot of stuff, and I needed, I decided like my own personal silent retreat with God. Just me in that house, 12 hours, 24 hours, just to be still, read the scriptures, and just rest. Well, as I mentioned, it was off in the woods, and I arrived in the evening. And it was a big old house, and I live in a house, old house now, and so I know about old houses. But there's something about being in a big old house by yourself in the woods, adjacent to church property in a cemetery that just creeps you out. I've seen the movies, okay? So as, as soon as I get in the house and go up to my bedroom, I start hearing things. Now you need to know that the house was a big old house, and there's a long center hallway at the top, and all these bedrooms off of it, and each of the bedrooms was connected to each of the other rooms sideways. So you could go from one room to the other to the other and not even use the hallway. So I'm there at this lonely house in the middle of the woods. I've seen the movies by myself at night. And I start to hear the creak and the movement. And you tell yourself, well, there's nothing there. And then, then you start saying, well, if somebody is there, they should know that I'm here. Who is it? Who's there? And I didn't have any weapons on me other than the Bible. And I knew that if it was vampires, I was good. If it was zombies, I was in really bad shape. <laughs> and I found myself, how many of you have ever been there? I found myself unable to sleep. Whenever I would just sort of doze off, I'd hear another movement and think, that's it. The morning comes, I get up, go out in the hallway, there's nothing there, of course. 
which I knew all the time intellectually, but somehow in the middle of the night in the darkness, I had trouble. And I left exhausted. Even today when I think about that place, I don't have a good feeling in my stomach. It was just not a good experience. But here's the point. This is true if you're three years old or if you're 33 years old. Rest requires trust. If you don't remember anything else today, this is what you need to remember. Rest requires trust. I'd gone away to this house for a type of Sabbath, for a type of retreat, renewal, restoration. But I couldn't trust that some bad guys went out to get me at this lonely house back in the woods. And I couldn't, therefore, rest. If you today are having trouble resting, and by that I mean not just sleeping, I mean having a sense of peace. Somewhere else, there's trust missing. This is true. We have a lot of people here today. Not everybody's a Christian or a believer or believes the same thing. This is true. This is a human nature thing. This is not just a Christian thing. Rest requires trust. Let's say you're in a marriage, and the marriage is just difficult right now. It's not going well. And you don't really trust your spouse. You have a hard time resting, having peace, having a sense of calm because you're lacking trust in this area. Or let's say you work for somebody or you're in an industry that's just really cutthroat and your boss is always breathing down your neck or you're worried your competitors are doing unethical things and you work just gives you a sense of anxiety and tension. It's because somewhere you don't trust. You don't trust that your other colleagues have your back, that your boss is going to stick up for you when you get called for doing what's right. You don't trust that other people are going to play by the rules. A lack of trust produces a lack of rest. That is a lack of peace, of security, of calmness. In fact, where a lot of us find this isn't related to our jobs. Because a lot of us, we get who we are, our identity, our self-worth from what we do. And therefore, when what we do is threatened, we have a hard time having rest over here. In fact, I guarantee you there's people here today, and that's exactly your story. There's a lack of trust somewhere in your profession, and therefore there's a lack of rest in your life. And in the midst of that, we have Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and lead me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. I want to talk today about the kind of trust that Christ came to bring that each of us can receive and have rest because of it. Now, this is a psalm that people all over the world know. This is the first psalm I ever memorized. In fact, you were given a card when you came in, like a little business card, index card with the Psalm 23 on it. I'd encourage you to take it home, put it in your wallet, memorize it. I memorized it when I was a little kid, and it's been with me my whole life, and it's such a sense of security and comfort. And there's a reason it's so famous, but I have heard this psalm thousands of times and read it over hundreds of times and it wasn't until recently that I saw something very interesting. Now this psalm is filled with great images, images that writers and musicians like to use. It's all over our culture. In 1995 there was a hit rap song by Coolio called Gangster's Paradise in which he quotes, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, says I look at my life and I see what's next. These are powerful images. But it wasn't until recently that I wondered about the connection between the green pastures the still waters, and the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes things can become so familiar we miss what's obvious, and I think I had missed something fundamental to this psalm, that the green pastures, the still waters, 
and the valley of the shadow of death are all connected. Now, we've been talking about 24-6, the idea that the human is not meant to live and go, 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 but needs a sense of calmness and rest. And I've said, and this is true, this is a countercultural teaching. This is about as countercultural as you can get, because we live in a 24-7 culture. Now, it doesn't work well for us. Our marriages suffer. Our health suffers. We have increased anxiety. Families suffer because of it. But boy, we're going we're gonna to be available and work 24-7. But it wasn't until recently that I realized there may be a connection between the rest that God wants to give us on a weekly basis and a deeper sense of rest and peace that we need. The Lord is my shepherd is what the psalmist says. Not to state the obvious, but he's saying God is like a shepherd and we are like sheep. And the shepherd's job is to care for the sheep. If you know anything about the Middle East, and this was true in ancient, the ancient times as well as today, you know that it's a pretty arid climate. And one of the jobs as a shepherd is to take his flock from one place of sustenance to the other. To move from one green pasture to another. And the psalmist says that's what God is like to his people. He leads us from one place of rest and peace to another. Several years ago, before I came here, I was working at a Spanish-language church. But I don't speak Spanish, so figure that out. In some ways, it was difficult, but there was one thing I learned really well. On one of the walls of the rundown apartment complex in which our church met, just north of Love Field, was the first verse of Psalm 23, printed in Spanish. El Señor es mi pastor. The Lord is my shepherd. Pastor and shepherd are related words, like we get the word pasture. So I am, in a sense, called to be a shepherd of people. People ask me what I do all the time. And it's kind of hard to describe what I do. This afternoon, I'm getting on a plane and traveling somewhere for a couple of days by myself. And I'll sit next to somebody on the plane, and they'll be reading Fifty Shades of Grey. And after a while, they'll ask me what I do. And then when I tell them, they kind of <laughs> shove the book aside. <laughs> and I'll say, I'm a pastor of a church in East Dallas. And for most people, they won't know what that means. But if they ask further, I'll often say, I'm like a shepherd of people. My job is to care for people. This is why what you need is not just somebody who tells you things that make you feel good. Sometimes you need to be challenged a bit. Have your toes stepped on a bit. Because if my job is to care for you, it's not just to make you feel good where you are now, but maybe to take you somewhere else. There's a problem with seeing myself in this kind of role in that it's, can produce a lot of stress and anxiety because I worry about you. I hear your stories and you ask for prayer requests and I'm just grieved often by just the difficulties of your lives. Some of which are of your own making, honestly, and some of which other people have thrust upon you. But if I'm not careful, I'll miss myself the point of the psalm. Because the psalmist says God is the shepherd, the Lord. Now God calls other people to be temporary shepherds or something, but ultimately, I'm not the one that can give you the peace that you need or the security that you need. And I surely am not the one that can give you that peace when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know a whole lot about this life, but I know that suffering and difficulty are part of life, and certainly a part of the Christian life. But there's a connection between the green pastures, the still waters, and the valley of the shadow of death. And there's a connection between the anxiety that I feel sometimes in my job performance and that you feel. And until we learn to trust God in all situations, we're not going to be able to trust him in the most dire, pressing situations. And until we learn to rest 
on the 24-6 rhythm, we're not going to have the kind of peace that Christ came to give. The connection in the psalm is this. He leads us to green pastures and still waters. And I believe he does that because he knows there are times when we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. In the ancient Near East, there are green pastures from place to place and some places of still water. But there's lots of places of danger and barrenness and desert. And it's the job of the shepherd to be with the sheep and to lead them from one place to the other. And sometimes they have to go through a hard place to get there. The reason so many of us have a hard time trusting God when things are difficult is because we haven't learned how to trust him in just the weekly, everyday rhythm of our lives. This is why the Sabbath is not just about sleeping better at night and working more productively Monday through Friday, although that's the case. This is why 24-6 is not just about what's good for your health, although that's true. 24-6 is God's way of teaching us that he's with us in the green pastures and the still waters because he knows there are times in all of our lives when the shadow of death comes upon us. In fact, you could put it like this. There is a direct correlation in our lives between rest, trust in God, and a 24-6 life. They're directly proportional. You cannot have true rest without trust in God. You can't have true trust in God without learning to live 24-6. It's like... uh, it's like exercises for us. Every seven days we're meant to stop and rest and be, and be reminded of God's goodness and his provision toward us. So that when the next hardship comes, we can look back and remember, God is our shepherd. He's led us through still waters and green pastures. He's with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. If you're struggling with a lot of anxiety this morning and worry and a lack of peace, and you came to my office and were talking to me about it, the very first thing I'd ask you is, when's the last time you had a day off? When's the last time your life followed a 24-6 rhythm rather than a 24-7 rhythm? The busyness, the availability, the go, 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 nonstop thing we have doesn't just lead us to fatigue. It leads us right into anxiety. Now, these are very old ancient scriptures. They're really famous, and there's a reason why the 23rd Psalm is as famous as it is. It's beautiful. It's simple. It's easily memorizable. So this would have been part of first century Jewish culture in which Jesus was living and working and walking. Now you and I, we're not as familiar with the Old Testament as the first disciples were. Being good Jews, they were steeped and bathed in this stuff. But even to us, we can see the connection when Jesus, when he's teaching, comes to his disciples and says, I am the good shepherd. This is a startling claim. He's saying, I'm the one who gives you rest, who leads you to green pastures, who provides. Then he goes beyond that. He says something else. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. One aspect of this life that is inescapable is difficulty, in suffering, in hard times. To use the words of the psalm, the valley of the shadow of death at some point will be something that each of us has to walk through. But Christ came to be the good shepherd to give us a certain sense 
See, right in the middle of verse 4 in the psalm, the one that talks about the valley of the shadow of death, is this word. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Yesterday, I attended the funeral of a father of a good friend of mine here in our congregation. He was a man, he died before his time, he was sick, very sick with cancer. But in the funeral at his Baptist church, north of our city, people proclaimed hope. And it's not a, a sentimental hope. It's not a, a hope that, that comes in spite of what you really believe about the world. It's a hope that comes from rest and trust in God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, says the psalmist, I fear no evil because you are with me. The Christian faith in the 24-6 life is not some sign of philosophy up here that we just think about and convince ourselves through. The Christian faith is the truth of a God who came to be with us. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and I laid down my life for my sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. The psalmist couldn't have known what the Christians know. And that God is truly with his people, even to the point of suffering. In fact, you could put it like this. We have the sort of shepherd that leaves voluntarily the green pastures and the still waters and goes himself alone, humiliated, right into the valley of the shadow of death for our sakes. And the truth of the gospel is that same one who was killed was raised again in the power of the Holy Spirit. Which proves all his claims and all the things he previously said. Which is why it's impossible to have true rest without trusting God, but why trusting God produces that kind of rest and peace in us. 24-6 is not just about keeping a calendar and marking off a day of the week every week as a day of rest and recreation and relaxation and enjoyment in God's blessings. 24-6 is a way to remind us of who our God is in his very nature and to give us the strength we need to make it through the valley of the shadow of death. This is why there's so much at stake. This is why I've been so fired up about this sermon series. Because I, I feel called to be, for a short time, your pastor or like a shepherd. And I know that there's times when each of us are going to have to go through death, dark, shadow. And when that time comes upon you, I want you to have the trust that knows that the same one who's been with you week after week and leading you through green pastures and still waters is with you right in the middle of the darkest parts of your life. <clears throat> I read a really moving story this week about a young woman who had gone to India on a mission with a mission organization, organization to South India where they participated in freeing young women from a particularly ugly form of slavery. And you guys know what I'm talking about. And these girls, who had been in the vilest situations imaginable, their favorite verse in Psalm was Psalm 23. Because they knew that the same God who can give green pastures and still waters was with them in the dark place, and he restores their souls. This is just what I want for you. This is just our challenge. This is how we're going to end today. I want you to adopt a 24-6 lifestyle, not because it's better for your marriage, which it is, not because it's better for your kids, which it is. I want you to adopt that kind of lifestyle because I want you to have that kind of trust in God. I want you to have that kind of peace in your life 
There is no rest without trust. Rest requires trust. But when we begin to live 24-6, what begins to happen is we begin to say the psalm in our own words. God, you're so good to me. You bless me so much. You give me green pastures and still waters. And even though right now I'm in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, God, I have no fear because you're with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. The psalmist goes on, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Even in the midst of the ugliest places in my life, Lord, you're a God who, who loves me, who gives of himself for me. And then the psalmist closes like this. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And that's a beautiful translation, but it's not entirely accurate. See, the Hebrew word for follow there is the word for pursue, almost like persecute, like bad guys on your tail. And the psalmist says that's what God's goodness is like for us. It's a pursuit of us. It's no matter what, I'm going to do it. Even if it requires the cross, I'm coming after you with blessings and goodness all the days of your life. And the truth is, many of us have never paused long enough to let them catch up to you. Just to be still and know is the first step for the goodness and mercy to reach us. I'd like to challenge you as we close our series to take the words of that psalm, to memorize them, to work through them. To do whatever it takes to begin to live 24-6. To pause long enough for the blessings of God to catch up for you. And to take the goodness of God with you even in the midst of the dark places of your lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may God make it so. Amen. <clears throat> this is the time in our service when we receive our offering. Just say a quick word, exactly a year ago on the first Sunday in May, we, uh, we concluded our campaign to raise money for our building. We've received already half of the funds we need. We're way ahead of schedule. We had a three-year timetable for it. And I want you to know that because of your generosity in our church, we're able to do great things here. For example, this summer, we're hosting something called Project Transformation. Today is the first day in which children can register for it. It's a summer literacy day camp for the kids in our neighborhood who maybe slide back in their reading over the summer. This would not be possible if we didn't have this space. So I just want you to know, as I say every week, that your generosity matters. It changes lives, and I'm so grateful for it. If you're here as a guest today, we don't want you to feel obligated to give, but this is your church. Just be encouraged by the great things God is doing through our generosity.